Thanks for joining us at the Vine Church. We are one church with two locations reaching around the world with our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. And you can partner with us in that by sharing this video or by clicking the give link below. For now, prepare your hearts for incredible worship and an inspiring message. Well, come let us worship our King. Oh, come let us bow at His feet. He has a great thing. Oh, see what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has a great thing. He has a great thing. A single hero. Oh, hero. Oh, 
Well, how are you, church? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning. For those of you I haven't had the privilege of meeting in person yet, my name is Andrew Irwin, and I get to be one of the pastors here at The Vine. And I'm excited to be with you this morning as we jump back into our message series that we've been calling Unexpected. And if you're just joining us in this series, I want to kind of give you the Cliff Notes version of what we've covered so far. At this point in the series, we've learned together that there is absolutely no way for us to run or to hide from the unexpected. And so the only thing we can do is to get ourselves ready, because if we're not ready, what ends up happening is when the unexpected comes, we feel either unprepared or unqualified to deal with it. And so that's what we've focused on so far in this series. 
But today we're gonna have a little bit of a shift. And today we're gonna talk about how the unexpected actually issues a challenge to us. And the challenge is this, to live undaunted. The unexpected challenges us to live undaunted. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? Because the reality is when something is surprising to us, even if it's small, it can be scary. Like even the smallest surprise that comes our way can be a little bit scary. And, and I kind of learned this one the hard way. See, when I was in high school, my wife and I started dating. And I remember one afternoon of our junior year, I went to her house to go pick her up. We're gonna go grab a bite to eat. And so I had her in the car sitting next to me and we pulled out of her driveway and pulled down the street and, and something unexpected was sitting there in the road. It was a duck, like just, just a little white duck sitting there in the middle of the road. And so I looked at it and I was like, man, I don't know what to do with this thing. So I just kind of eased the car around it, kind of thinking that would spook it into like flying away so it wasn't sitting in the middle of the road. It didn't, it just sat there. And so I kind of went to the edge of the road and I was about to turn and I looked in the rear view mirror and another car had come flying around the other corner. It was approaching the duck at like high speed. And then all of a sudden it swerved out of the way just at the last second. And I realized like I needed to go back and help this duck. And so I, I jumped out of the car and I walked up to the duck. And my first thought was, I just, I just needed to kind of spook it into moving, right? And, and so like I get down like on its level and I'm looking at it in the eye and I go, move! It didn't, okay? It didn't move at all. It just sat there. So then I was like, you know what? That's fine. So I, um, I get up like a head of steam and I, I, I run and charge this duck. I'm in like full speed and I get up to the duck and it just stares at me, which, so I had my girlfriend in the car there and there's very few things that'll humble you faster than your inability to scare a duck, okay? <laughs> it, it was not a good moment for me. And so in that moment, I made a split second decision that if I could not get the duck to move on its own, that I would pick the duck up, put it in the car with me and drive it to a nearby pond. And so I scooped the duck up and it, it was actually pretty chill. I walk with it to the car, pretty chill. Sit down with it in the car, pretty chill. Everything was going smoothly until Kristen started the car. At that point, the unexpected happened. The duck freaked out, like total freak out. Like, I mean, there was flapping. There was a lot of quacking. The thing bit me in the hand. Then the, then the duck realized that there was a window there. It just didn't realize the window was up. So it smashed its face repeatedly into the window I mean, it was, a, it was a whole thing. At one point, the duck looked at Kristen wrong. So Kristen screamed, and then I screamed, and then the duck screamed. I mean, it was, it was a mess. Like, it was, it was not good. And finally, we made it to this pond, and I jumped out of the car, kind of like football carrying the duck. And we get to the edge of the pond, and I'm like tossing the duck out there, and it like soars away, and it goes, and it's like reunited with its little duck family. And I'm like, bye, Donald. It was nice knowing you. And, and, then, like, and then I like got back in the car and went on my way. And as I've like thought about that scene, like in hindsight, I, I've since realized that like, man, I've been focusing on the wrong things because like I don't focus on the fact that like the duck was reunited to his family and he flew away home and this was a good thing. When I think about that scene, what I focus on is the fact that I was so afraid of a duck. Like I was terrified of this little quacky thing that, that I should not have been afraid of. But here's the deal. Like the littlest things can cause us huge amounts of fear, right? Like for instance, students, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Like if I just drop these words right now, what does it do to you? Pop quiz. Yeah, somebody up here almost fell out, right? Like, like 
it's summer and he's still like, you hear the words pop quiz and you, and you spaz a little bit. And, and here's what's interesting. I've never once heard of a pop quiz adjusting a person's final grade. Like I've never heard like, oh, I had an A and I got a B because of the pop quiz. Like that, that's not how it goes, but it still, it still scares us because it's unexpected. Now, I wish, we, I wish I could say that you kind of grow out of that as you get older, but that's not true. Adults, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever had that moment when you got an email or a phone call from your supervisor saying, hey, I just need you to step into the office this afternoon. What races through your mind? Yeah, they, like, it's not good, the, the thoughts that start invading your brain. And the majority of the time when you get called into the supervisor's office, like your job's not in jeopardy. You can actually go in there and have a conversation about whatever it is that was on their mind and things end up okay. But our first instinct when there's a surprise is to be filled with fear. And parents, I think you might know this better than anyone else in the room because you've probably had that moment when you are like in a deep, sound sleep. And all of a sudden, from three inches away from your face, you start hearing, dad, 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 right? And like, you like jump out of bed, right? In that moment. And they're like, dad, I need you to check my sheets. And I'm like, hold on, I need you to check my sheets actually, right? <laughs> like you have that moment where it's just so scary. And it's, it's not so much that it's like a big thing that's scary. It's just that it's a small surprise that takes us off guard and it can leave us filled with fear, and the reality is that I think the only people who like, I've ever known who were immune to this like being taken off guard and being surprised and then scared kind of concept were Jesus and those who were desperate to get to Jesus. And we're gonna see that in our scripture for today. And so if you brought your Bibles or have a Bible app, I'm gonna invite you to open with me to Luke chapter five. We're gonna jump into verse 17 and we're gonna go all the way through verse 26. Again, that's Luke 5, 17 through 26. And if you're here this morning and you're going, man, I don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. Like all you have to do is stop by the guest services desk located in our lobby, just ask for a Bible. They will give you one, no questions asked. And some people, like, some people ask me, why do you give out Bibles? We're convinced that when God's people get into God's word, amazing things will begin to unfold in their life and in the lives of everyone around them. And so we wanna encourage you to make sure that you have a Bible and we'd love to help you with that process. But that won't actually help you track along right now. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna put the words on the screen as we jump in reading Luke chapter five, picking up with verse 17. This is what it says. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. 
And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. And I, I don't know about you, but I love this passage of scripture. Like it's so fascinating to me. And I think the intrigue begins like right from the very beginning with who is surrounding Jesus when this scene begins to unfold. Because if you go back just two verses to Luke chapter five, verse 15, it says that Jesus has been healing the crowd, like he has been healing the sick and that has like drawn a huge crowd to him. But verse 17 tells us explicitly that there's two groups who have now gathered around Jesus, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And and to understand why that's significant, you got to know who those are. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law are the people who would have been fairly obsessed and really focused in on the laws of the Old Testament of the Bible. And there's 613 of those. And they would have actually had them memorized which is a big deal to me because most Christians today struggle to memorize the big 10 commandments, right? They had all 613 memorized and they wanted to make sure that everybody was following all of those rules, which is why it's really fascinating for me to think about why it was that the Pharisees decided to show up here and now. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, maybe they just kind of followed along with the crowds, right? Like crowds were following Jesus from every town, city, and village. Like, I mean, Jesus had this massive following. Maybe the Pharisees just wanted to check out what was happening. Or maybe it has something to do with the previous passage in which Jesus heals a leper, not by speaking the word, but by touching the leper, which the Pharisees would have viewed as a violation of Mosaic law. They would have viewed that as breaking one of the rules of scripture. This would have been a huge deal for them. And maybe, just maybe, they showed up here and now because they were hoping to catch Jesus in the act of breaking another rule. But for whatever reason, they have gathered around Jesus and they find themselves perfectly positioned to see and experience the power of God firsthand. In fact, this is what verse 17 uh, says about Jesus. It says, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Now, if you've ever wondered how you know if the power of the Lord is with someone to heal, it's because they heal people around them. And, and when people start seeing other people get healed, you know what happens? They bring anybody and everybody they've ever known who has anything wrong with them to the person who can heal. So for instance, if you've ever found yourself on like one of those text chains where it's like pray for so-and-so, pray for so-and-so, pray for so-and-so, you'll discover that every Christian everywhere has an ant somewhere who has a bunion on their toe. And they want everybody praying for Aunt Bertha's bunion. Okay? Listen, listen. It's fascinating to me that when somebody has the reputation as being able to heal or somebody has the identified gift of healing other people, why people flock to them. And that's the scene that's unfolding before Jesus now. All these people are desperate to get to Jesus. And that actually sets up the scene for our scripture passage. You see, there's four men who find themselves desperate to get a man who has been paralyzed to Jesus. Now, Luke's really vague on the description of these four guys. Like we we don't even know their names. In fact, the only reason we know there's four of them is because Mark gives us that detail in Mark chapter two, verse three. Like these four guys who we don't know their name, we don't know their age, we don't know their hometown, and we don't even know their relationship to the man on the mat. 
Like we have no idea who these guys are. But here's what we do know from our scripture passage. Verses 18 and 19 tell us that these men want to get Jesus, they want to get Jesus in front of their friend on the mat. So they're doing what they can to take the mat to Jesus. And that's when they run into the unexpected. See, they run into a wall of people who are crowding in around Jesus. And they come to the conclusion that there is no way for them to get their friend on his bed to Jesus. And then they go and do something that I think we could all classify as having an undaunted faith. They break through the roof of the house where Jesus is teaching. And this is extraordinary to me. Like, it's extraordinary because I know that there is no way in the world that these guys started out with plan A being that they're gonna break through somebody's house to get this man on the mat to Jesus. Like that wasn't the game plan. They weren't like, okay, so here's the thing, guys. I need you to make sure you have your hammer. You're gonna need a chisel and you, you're just heavy. You're just gonna jump, okay? Like that wasn't the game plan when they started out. They were like, we just need to get this guy to Jesus. Jesus is in town. We've got to get our friend to Jesus. And when they see the crowd, they have a choice to make. They can either decide that they are going to turn around and go home or they're gonna do whatever it takes to get this man to Jesus. And they decide they're willing to break through a roof to get this guy to Jesus. And it's pretty inspiring. But for a lot of people, when you read this passage, it's the, actually the opposite of inspiring. It's actually like disruptive to your soul. Like instead of reading this and feeling encouraged, you feel discouraged because you look at this passage and you go, man, if that was me, and I was one of the people carrying the man on the mat, I'd have given up and gone home. There's no way I would have been willing to do that. Like, it's awesome that these guys were undaunted, but how does that help me at all? Like, of course, these guys were undaunted. They're in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever thought this before, but I'm totally guilty of reading through scripture and going, yeah, like these are superheroes in scripture and I'm just me. Let's call time out on that for just a second. When these four guys woke up that morning, none of them thought that they were going to do anything that would be talked about for all of eternity. Not one of them, not one of them was operating under the belief that they were gonna do something that would be recorded and that we would be talking about 2000 years later, half a world away. In fact, the reason that we're even talking about them today it's because they made a decision not to give in to their fear of failure, but to instead decide that they were going to press on in faith. And when they made that decision, it changed everything. In fact, the idea of faith is so incredibly powerful in this passage, and, and, and here's why. Did you know that this is the very first time that the word faith is used in Luke's gospel? That's a pretty big deal considering all that's already happened in Luke's gospel. Like this is the gospel that details like Jesus being born to Mary, who was a virgin. The word faith's never used. This is the gospel that details Jesus being baptized. This is the gospel that lays out very clearly the call of the first four disciples who, by the way, dropped everything and followed Jesus and the word faith is never used. This is the same, same gospel where we hear about Jesus healing a leper who knew that Jesus was the only one who could heal him. And he's not described with the word faith. The first people described as faithful in Luke's gospel 
are these four unknown men who lower their friend through the roof of a house to get him to Jesus. I mean, this is remarkable. And Jesus's response here is so, it's so Jesus. Like it's totally Jesus when you look at the response here. He's like, all right, so you four men are faithful. Now I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take your, un, like your unexpected faith and I'm gonna offer some unexpected forgiveness, right? Like this is, this is a miraculous scene. Jesus, by the way, never even like speaks to the people up above. He kind of, you get the idea, he kind of looks up at them, maybe gives them like the Jesus nod, what's up? And then turns his focus to the man who's been lowered down in front of him. And what does he say? Get up and walk. Nope. He says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, that's such an interesting thing to note because this man didn't do anything. Think about it. He was entirely along for the ride. Like he couldn't have protested if he wanted to. Like he was being taken and that's where he was going to go. And Jesus, because of the men's faith, forgives him. If you've got somebody in your life that you've been praying would come to faith in Jesus, just know that sometimes it's your unexpected faith that will lead to their unexpected forgiveness. That's a really important thing for us to take note of as people who are reaching and making disciples, making disciples. Now, I I want you to really focus on what would have been racing through the minds of all these people as this scene is beginning to unfold. So you've got the men sitting up on the roof watching this unfold. They just see that the man has had his sins forgiven. And I wonder if some of them thought, his sins are forgiven, that's great. It's also not why we lugged him all the way here. Like we didn't bring him to Jesus for his sins to be forgiven. We brought him to Jesus because we wanted to see the miracle. We wanted to see this man walk. Now, I don't know if that's what they were thinking. That's what I would have been thinking. But we do know what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are thinking, don't we? And the reason we know what they're thinking is because Jesus could perceive their thoughts, which just as an FYI, just like he could perceive the Pharisees' thoughts, He can perceive yours too. So if you've been considering having a conversation with him about that thing you've been struggling that you didn't think he knew about, he does. Have the conversation and invite him into the problems where you're hurting and struggling. And it might be the most unexpected blessing of your life. And so the Pharisees, we kind of are let in on what they're thinking. They're thinking, hey, Jesus, you you just committed blasphemy. Like, who do you think you are is the, is the basic idea here. They're saying, Jesus, only God can forgive sins. You just committed blasphemy. And blasphemy, by the way, is basically taking the glory that's due to God and, and directing it at anything else. And in this instance, they think that Jesus is taking the glory due to God, our heavenly father, and putting it on himself. Um, in case you're curious, Jesus is incapable of blasphemy because he is God. He's fully God and fully man. That's, that's who Jesus is is. And in this scene, Jesus perceives what they're thinking and then begins having a conversation with them. And he says, hey, guys, which is easier for me to say? Is it easier for me to say, man, your sins are forgiven or say, stand up and walk? Now, in case you're like curious about this, there's really no contest on which of these is easier. It's exponentially easier to say, your sins are forgiven. You know why? Because you can't check that. Like, you you can't. Like, it's not like, oh, look, 
you're having a good day today. Your sins look like they've been forgiven. <laughs> like, it, like, that's not, like, that's not a conversation that you can have. Like, you can't look at the outside of somebody and go, oh, yeah, man, woo, looking good. No sins today, right? Like, that's not how, that's not how it goes down. So what would have been easier is to say, yeah, your sins are forgiven. But Jesus goes, okay, listen, but so that you can know that I do have the authority, that I do have the power to forgive sins, I want you to go ahead and stand up, take your bed and walk on home. And the man stands up, glorifies God and walks on out. Now, what's remarkable about that is that how many of you all know that glorifying God is really contagious, right? Because it says that this man glorifies God, which you would go, of course he does. He's just been healed and forgiven of his sins. So he's physically healed. He's spiritually healed. He leaves and it's a good day for him. But everybody in the room starts glorifying God as well. Go back to verse 26. It says this, and amazement seized them all. Let's go back to who was in the room. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin rejoicing and glorifying God because they've just seen an unexpected and unexplainable move of God. And it all started, it all started because a group of nameless men brought a man on a mat to Jesus. And when they hit an unexpected roadblock, they decided that they were going to be undaunted, they were gonna be undaunted and determined to get this man to Jesus no matter what. Listen, I don't know what it is that you're going through right now. I don't know the unexpected thing that has come your way, but here's my prayer for you. My prayer is that in this season, you would make up your mind that you're gonna be undaunted, that you would decide once and for all time that you are going to be determined to do whatever it takes to be faithful in this season, that you are not going to allow your fear or even your fear of failure to stop you from stepping out in faith. In fact, my prayer for you this morning is that your faith would swallow up your fear because when that happens, endless possibilities are opened up to you. When your faith is bigger than your fear, then you can live a life that is filled with obedience. And when you're obedient, you get to see unbelievable outcomes. When you're obedient, you see unbelievable outcomes. And I want that for you. I want you to be a people that are just so undaunted that nothing could ever shake your faith. And some of you are going, I bet you do want that, Pastor. I'm sure you want that for us. But here's the thing. None of us here are in the Bible. We don't have this kind of faith. Like there's not stories written about us in the book. You don't have to have your name written in this book to be faithful. You can live a life that is so full of faith that the unexpected doesn't invoke fear in you, that the unexpected invokes possibility and wonder of what your faith is going to lead you into next. But it starts with you making a decision to be undaunted. Great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven. It's 
You're 